This world is filled with gods, little G-O-Ds. In the initial temptation of Grandmother Eve, Satan made her this promise, Genesis 3, 4, and 5. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Didn't work out too well, did it? Satan deceived Eve, and Adam followed her pernicious ways, and the devil took the deed of the earth. 2 Corinthians 4, 3, and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan is the God, little G-O-D, of this earth, and earth that is soon to be eliminated. The world is filled with little gods, blinding the hearts of the willingly ignorant. But the God of all, the capital G-O-D, has made a way of glorious escape through Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. This way of escape was purchased by the blood of Jesus shed on Calvary's hill, and the escape is called born again. It literally means born a second time, this time of the Spirit of God. Born again is not simply church talk. It is even bigger, so much bigger, infinitely bigger than it's billed to be. Truly, it is the greatest miracle a man can know. Have you yet to be born again? John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Brother Peter spoke in Acts chapter 4, 10 through 12, Be it known unto you, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation is only found in the name of Jesus Christ. Today is your day of salvation. Follow me in a simple prompt, and in mere moments, everything will change for you. Today, all your sin and its heavy shame will be washed away. You will become clean. Today, all of Satan's bondages, no matter how big, will be shattered. You will be free. Today will be the best day of your life, and tomorrow will be better. Here comes the prompt. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now, for today's subject. God said, Galatians 6, verse 7, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God said, Proverbs twenty three twenty nine through 35. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. 
They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I have felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Man said, My old uncle drank a pint of vodka a day and lived to be a hundred and five. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 1026, that will once again certify the inerrant truth of God's Word in His Holy Bible. All of these marvelous features are archived here in text and streaming audio for your edification and as ammunition in the battle for the souls of men. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for visiting. May God's face shine upon you with light and truth. It is not possible. It is not even remotely possible. You cannot disregard or disrespect the words of God without suffering the curse. Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The law of sowing and reaping is an immutable and cardinal law. One of the God Said, Man Said's proof platforms is titled God Said, Man Said. And in this category, the results of flouting God's word are published. There are 842 features in this category alone. For example, God said yes, but man said no. Now consider the results. The global field study is in, and it is clear that you will reap what you sow. Sometimes it takes a while, but finally the deed will come knocking. There is but one remedy to this calamity, and it is a person. Man's truth is constantly changing. It should become obvious that man's truth is suspect. His truth of yesterday is debunked by his truth of today. And this truth of today will be debunked by his truth of tomorrow. God's word, his truth, on the other hand, never changes. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. The U.S. government has participated in the disregard for God's word, and its cadre of medical science experts have been found guilty of some of the most conspicuous errors. Those errors include, but are not limited to, the dietary food pyramid, promoting deadly trans fats, replacing natural breastfeeding with man-made formulas, promoting homosexuality, and mishandling quarantine, just to name a few. God Said Man Said has published numerous features regarding alcoholic beverages. In this feature, we lay down some foundational information and post some of science's latest findings. The following is from the God Said Man Said feature, Wine is a Mocker, Strong Drink is Raging. When God condemns an action, wise men and women take heed. Years ago, while working in the prison ministry, I met a man named Victor. Victor was an alcoholic and was incarcerated as a result of deeds spawned by his bondage. Victor had all the necessary tools to succeed in life, but in his approximate 60 years, success was absent. Poor Victor's life was wasted, and many other lives affected. Family members, friends, loved ones, employers, taxpayers, and more— were directly damaged by his actions. I asked Victor when he became an alcoholic, and he said, My first drink. Moderation didn't work good for Victor. God said, man said, alcohol and Christians. 
In etymology, which is the study of words, a guideline exists known as the rule of first occurrence. The rule basically states that a word's definition is established during the word's first use. The word drunken is first found in Genesis 9.21. This is the first account of the existence of alcoholic beverages and of someone suffering the effects of alcohol, and it happened to none other than Noah. Scientists note that Noah was blindsided. He was an expert husbandman, making wine for hundreds of years. But this time, immediately after the worldwide flood, things were not the same. Further on in this feature, I will explain. Nevertheless, Noah became drunk and passed out in his tent. His son Ham, in the presence of his brother, showed disrespect to his father concerning this matter. When Noah awoke, being aware of what Ham did, he cursed Ham's son Canaan. This young man went on to populate the land of Canaan, which today is the land of Israel. These people, as well as the Ishmaelites and the other Arabian people, presently reside in the Middle East and are participating in the region's terrible turmoil. They will find themselves complicit and bringing about the great and horrendous Battle of Armageddon. Imagine, the first occurrence of alcoholic beverages will go on to participate in the Battle of Armageddon. The devastating effects of alcohol are in fact like an Armageddon on the world's population. The statistics cited are from the United States. The effects of alcohol in many other nations, I'm sure, are as bad or even worse than those of the U.S. The current population of the United States is estimated at 328.2 million people. Consider these facts. One in eight adult Americans are alcoholics, and another 76 million are adversely affected by its results. Annually, an estimated 88,000 people die from alcohol-related causes, and it is the third leading preventable cause of death. Alcohol is involved in 50% of all violent crimes, as well as 50% of all fatal accidents. Three out of ten U.S. citizens will be involved in an alcohol-related auto accident in their lifetimes. Imagine. It is estimated that the U.S. forks out over $167 billion a year as a result of the damages of alcohol. More than 10% of America's children resides in an alcohol-abusive home and suffers psychosomatic illnesses. Consider the broken hearts of deserted mothers, fathers, and children. Consider the broken homes, the adultery, rape, fornication, and other woes that are caused by consuming alcoholic beverages. Another terrible devastation caused by alcohol is the effects of it on the unborn in the mother's womb. It is called fetal alcohol syndrome. It can be caused by a mother drinking as little as one alcoholic beverage during pregnancy. It is the number one cause of birth defects and renders its children with IQs 13 to 16 points lower than their non-affected counterparts. Many cases of mental retardation are the result of fetal alcohol syndrome. Drinking kills neurons, causes cancer, destroys livers, damages the ability to discern between right and wrong, and so on. With this phenomenal weight of witnesses testifying against the consumption of alcohol, why does so much biblical confusion appear to exist? The Word of God speaks about wine and strong drink. Wine is the main focus of this article. I wrote earlier that Noah was the first man in recorded history to become drunken 
and that scientists say that this is that this righteous man was blindsided, and here's the reason why. The natural fermentation process that causes the juice of the grape, for instance, to ferment, is a result of atmospheric changes that took place during the days of Noah. Prior to the great Noahidic flood, a water canopy encompassed the earth. The water canopy was destroyed by God and cast down to the earth. It has since been replaced with an ozone layer. According to scientists, the banished water canopy would have filtered out the ultraviolet killer rays from the sun. For one thing, UV rays cause bacteria, a natural yeast, to form on the grapes in the field, as well as on all other fruits, which in turn causes the juice to ferment. Prior to Noah, these UV rays were blocked by God's water canopy. Consequently, Noah would have been unaware of the dangers of fermentation. In Proverbs 23.31 it reads, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. In other words, don't drink wine after it has fermented. Also, the wine God commanded us not to drink had a very low alcoholic content because of the low levels of sugar in the grapes of the Middle East in comparison to today's alcoholic beverages. Some of the confusion concerning the drinking of alcoholic beverages is that many erroneously think that the word wine in the Bible strictly refers to the fermented juice of the grape. A simple search of the scriptures, however, reveals that unfermented grape juice is called wine as well as the fermented juice. This is shown in the following scripture passages. Isaiah 65, 8, Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servants' sakes, that I may not destroy them all. Joel chapter 2, 24, And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. Please note that it is called wine as it comes forth from the wine press. In the Old Testament, there are two Hebrew words which are both translated into English as the word wine. The first word, tirosh, occurs 38 times, and it means must, fresh or new wine. The word must is defined as the expressed, unfermented juice of the grape. Again, from the textbook Archaeology and Bible History, the following excerpt deals with the two Hebrew words translated as wine— it begins by explaining the word tiros. Examine of the examination of the use of this word shows that it does not refer to a fermented drink. Eleven times it speaks of wine as a first fruit fresh from the harvest, usually in the phrase corn, wine, and oil, and obviously refers to grape juice. Seventeen times it is used with grain and oil as natural products of the field, again clearly implying grape juice. In three places, Tirosh is said to be filling the presses, obviously referring to freshly pressed juice. Isaiah 65, 8 pictures Tirosh as being still in the cluster of grapes, and Micah 6, 15 is the clearest of all, mentioning Tirosh as the material from which fermented wine is formed. Only in one place is there any association between Tirosh and wickedness, Hosea 4, verse 11, whoredom and wine, yean, and new wine tirosh, take away the heart. Even here in this particular context, there is no mention of actual drunkenness and no suggestion that tirosh in itself is intoxicating. It is clear then that tirosh is regularly used in the sense of grape juice, a beverage with no appreciable, appreciable content of alcohol. 
Concerning the second Hebrew word, yayin, it goes on to say, Yayin is the most common word for wine in the Old Testament, occurring 135 times, and clearly means fermented wine. At least 30 times, yayin is definitely associated with drunkenness, and its use is more or less condemned. It was prohibited to the Nazarites, Numbers chapter 6, verse 3. Daniel refused the king's yayin, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. About half of the passages mentioning Yayin in the Old Testament are clearly denunciatory. In some places, it is mentioned merely as a natural product without praise or blame, just as polygamy is referred to at times without specific condemnation being given at that reference. An examination of passages supposed to support the use of Yayin shows that they really do not give such support. The use of yayin in making the drink offering does not support partaking of wine, for this offering was not drunk. End of quote. Please note, this drink offering was never consumed, was poured out before the Lord, just as all things detrimental to human health were commanded by God to not be consumed, i.e., the fat, the blood, the dung, the call above the liver. As in the Old Testament, the word wine in the New Testament can mean unfermented or fermented wine. When Ephesians 5.18 says, and be not drunk with wine, it refers to fermented wine. Wine then can be fermented or unfermented. Now concerning the marriage supper in Cana, where Jesus turned water into wine, there is one very obvious reason that certifies that Jesus, in fact, did not create fermented wine, and that reason is that the Lord Jesus Christ was sinless. Had he created fermented wine and contributed to the drunkenness of others, he would have been guilty of disobeying the many commandments forbidding it. Do you suppose Jesus would have created wine that, if consumed by a pregnant woman attending the marriage supper, could have harmed her unborn child with fetal alcohol syndrome? Do you suppose that our Lord Jesus would have given the people fermented wine, causing men to lust after their neighbors' wives, fistfight in the parking lot, and wreck their chariots on the way home? Would it be so hard to fathom that the miracle wine Jesus produced would be the finest wine that man had ever tasted, and that the creator of the universe could accomplish this feat without the contamination of alcohol? Wouldn't you suppose that Christ's miracle wine would be free of fermenting bacteria caused by harmful UV rays from the sun? The answers are, of course and of course. Proponents of alcoholic consumption felt vindicated when a 1999 University of Wisconsin Medical School study ascribed great health benefits to fermented wine. At least that's how much uh, the story was reported. The research revealed that in wine are found tannins and flavonoids, that diminish cholesterol and may fight blood clotting. What most media failed to report is that unfermented wine, grape juice, has the very same health benefits. Those who promote the concept of moderation, citing verses such as 1 Timothy 3.8, which reads, Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, need to read a few verses above that in verse 2, which reads, the bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given the hospitality, apt to teach. This word sober is discussed in the following paragraph in Archaeology and Bible History. 
The New Testament attitude toward intoxicating drink is shown by the injunction for Christians to be nephalios. Let me try that again. To be nephalios, translated sober. This word is used only three times in the New Testament, 1 Timothy and also in Titus. But it is used regularly in the classical authors, meaning free from all wine. This word shows strongly that the New Testament ideal is total abstinence. End of quote. The dictionary defines sober as not given or addicted to the use of intoxicating beverages, abstinent, free from the influence of intoxicating beverages. Finally, from archaeology and Bible history. In summary, we are left with the biblical condemnation of alcoholic drink and a definite denunciation of drunkenness as sin. Nowhere is moderate drinking given approval. The existence of light fermented wine does not mean that God sanctioned its use for beverage purposes. Furthermore, a different situation exists today with the use of modern strong alcoholic beverages. Solomon's observation of long ago is just as applicable today, if not more so. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. End of quote. The Christian's motto should simply be, We drink no wine that's past the line. And of course, that includes all fermented or distilled alcoholic beverages. End of quotes. The following excerpts are from Wilkerson's 1978 book, Sipping Saints. The word juice does not appear in the New Testament and only once in the Old. All fruit of the vine was called wine, whether it was fermented or not. There are 13 different words used in the Bible which are interpreted as wine, nine in Hebrew and Chaldee, and four in Greek. The distinction between fermented and unfermented wine is cited by ancient writers again from Wilkerson Sipping Saints. Even classical writers spoke of unintoxicating wine. Horace in 65 BC says, Here you quaff under a shade cups of unintoxicating wine, this day sacred in the revolving year. Remove the cork fastened with pitch from the jar, which was set to fumigate. Drinking was referred to without passion. Plutarch in 60 AD writes, That filtered wine neither inflames the brain nor infects the mind and the passions, and is much more pleasant to drink. Aristotle says of sweet wine called glucose that it would not intoxicate, and the wine of Arcadia was so thick that it was necessary to scrape it from the skin bottles in which it was stored and dissolve the scrapings in water. Virgil in 70 B.C. says, Or of sweet must boils down the luscious juice. Homer, in his Odyssey, Book 9, tells us that Ulysses took in his boat a goatskin of sweet black wine, and that before it was drunk, it was diluted with twenty parts of water. Being thick, it required water to prepare it for drinking. Varro speaks of gathering wine, Cato of hanging wine, Ovid, and scarce can the grapes contain the wine they have therein. Columella and other writers who were contemporaries with the apostles, inform us that in Italy and Greece it was common to boil the wines, which, of course, they would not have done if the alcoholic content were desired. Archbishop Potter, born A.D. 161, in his Grecian Antiquities, Edinburgh edition, 1813, volume 2, page 360, says, The Lacedaemonians used to boil their wines upon the fire, 
until the fire was consumed, then after four years were expired, began to drink them. He refers to Democritus, a celebrated philosopher, who traveled across the greater part of Europe, Asia, and Africa, and who died in 361 B.C. Also to Palladius, a Greek physician, is making a similar statement. These ancient authorities called the boiled juice of the grape wine. The Mishnah states that the Jews were in the habit of using boiled wine. Kiddo, volume 2, page 477. Concerning boiling the juice, Wilkerson weighs in with the following. It is an unchangeable law of nature that Venus fermentation requires temperatures between 50 degrees and 75 degrees Fahrenheit. Fermentation in climates above 75 degrees Fahrenheit would be acetous, vinegar-like. Fermentation may be prevented by boiling, by filtration, by excluding air, and by adding sulfur. Grape juice boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Alcohol evaporates at 170 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 42 degrees below the boiling point, the object of boiling being to preserve the sweetness of the juice. I am convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt that Jesus turned water into new sweet wine unfermented. It was the same kind of sweet, unintoxicating wine that is still produced today in many Southern Asian and European countries, end of quote. Much noise has been made concerning the benefits of wine drinking, meaning fermented wine. But you haven't heard as much noise about the medical world's backtracking on their original proclamation. The following paragraphs are from God Said, Man Said's Wine Number 2. They address these issues. The following excerpt is from the publication Better Nutrition. Solid research indicates phytonutrients in the wine, not the alcohol, are the awesome antioxidant workers. Red wine and its non-alcoholic equal purple grape juice are brimming with the antioxidants resveratrol, grapeseed anthocyanides, quercetin, elegic acid, phenolic flavonoids, and epicotexin. Purple grape juice is perhaps the most powerful antioxidant on earth, having demonstrated the highest ORAC rating of more than 40 fruits, vegetables, and juices tested in the lab, end of quote. The following excerpts are from a report citing the research concerning alcohol consumption. The headline reads, Cancel Happy Hour, Alcohol Shrinks Brain. This is its title. It reads, December 5, 2003. Forget that Cabernet at dinner. At happy hour, just say no. For middle-aged people, drinking alcohol in moderate amounts actually causes the brain to slightly deteriorate, a new study shows. What's more, you get no protection from stroke, which runs contrary to previous studies that show moderate alcohol intake is associated with some protection against it. A new study, published in this month's issue of Stroke, Journal of the American Heart Association, also delves into the issue of drinking alcohol and brain shrinkage. Previous studies have linked heavy drinking with brain deterioration as well as stroke. But this is the first to show that even moderate drinking, 7 to 14 drinks a week, causes the same sort of brain atrophy, and it occurs as early as in middle age, so writes researcher Jingzhong Ding, Ph.D., an epidemiologist with the Bloomberg School of Public Health at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, end of quote. The following short paragraphs are from the fall 2008 issue of Be Well, a publication of the Cleveland Clinic. 
Since researchers found the link between red wine and reduced risk of heart disease, many women have been enjoying a glass a day. However, women should weigh the benefits and risks for themselves after the surprising finding that all types of alcohol, including wine, increase a woman's chances of developing breast cancer, end of quote. God said, man said, alcohol and Christians, part two. Concerning the marriage supper in Jesus, in the first article on this subject, we explained the miracle of turning water into wine performed at Cana by Jesus. We fully dispelled the notion that this wine would cause drunkenness. Here's more on this subject. John 2, 9 through 10, when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Concerning the words good wine in verse 10, ancient writers Pliny and Plutarch stated that good wines were those which would not intoxicate, having had their alcoholic content removed. Concerning good wine, Dr. S. Bacciocci of Andrews University, author of Wine in the Bible, said, Scriptural and moral consistency requires that the good wine produced by Christ was fresh, unfermented grape juice. This is supported by the very adjective used to describe it, namely kalos, which denotes that which is morally excellent instead of agathos, which means simply good, end of quote. Concerning Timothy's stomach, much to do has been made about the instructions that the Apostle Paul gave Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.23. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Again, from a preview of wine in the Bible. Ancient writers such as Aristotle, Athenaeus, and Pliny indicate that unfermented wine was known and preferred to alcoholic wine for medical purposes because it did not have the side effects of the latter. In the light of these testimonies and of the other biblical teachings regarding wine, it is reasonable to assume that the wine recommended by Paul for medical use was unfermented grape juice. The conclusion of the whole study on the biblical teaching regarding the use of alcoholic beverages can be summarized in one sentence. Scripture is consistent in teaching moderation in the use of wholesome, unfermented beverages and abstinence from the use of intoxicating fermented beverages, end of quote. Alcohol consumption is Satan's snare. In the September 14, 2018 issue of The Week on their Health and Science page, you'll find the following excerpts under the heading, How Much Alcohol is Safe? In a hotly disputed finding, a major global study has concluded that there is no safe level of alcohol consumption and that even the occasional drink can be harmful to your health. The Global Burden of Disease Study examined data on drinking in 195 countries between 1990 and 2016, focusing on how consumption affected risk for 23 different alcohol-related issues. The researchers found that even as little as one drink a day over a year slightly increased the incidence excuse me, of health problems. A low level of alcohol use does seem to provide some protection against heart disease and diabetes, researchers acknowledge, 
but those benefits are outweighed by other impacts, end of quote. The September 4, 2020 issue of the week posits a healthier drinking life. Excerpts from the article follow. New federal guidelines in the works may soon put a damper on cocktail hour, said Samantha Reddy in the Wall Street Journal. The change, which has to be approved by two federal departments before officially becoming part of U.S. dietary guidelines, comes in light of growing evidence that moderate alcohol consumption contributes to more than 60 diseases, including six types of cancer. Whatever kind of study you looked at, says Boston University alcohol researcher Timothy Namey, two drinks a day is associated with a higher risk of death than drinking one drink a day, end of quotes. In an August 24, 2018 article published on LiveScience.com, researchers discovered that when it comes to alcohol, there is no such thing as moderation. Excerpts from the feature, there's no safe level of alcohol consumption, global study finds. Here's what they had to say. Drinking alcohol in moderation is more harmful than previously thought, according to a new study that concludes there's no safe level of alcohol consumption. The comprehensive study, which analyzed information from millions of people in nearly 200 countries, found that alcohol is tied to nearly 3 million deaths globally each year, with about 1 in 10 deaths leaked to alcohol use among people ages 15 to 49. What's more, any protective health effects of alcohol were offset by the drink's risk, including strong links between alcohol consumption and the risk of cancer, and injuries such as those resulting from car accidents. The study analyzed information from nearly 700 previous studies to estimate how common drinking alcohol is worldwide and examined also another 600 studies, including a total of 28 million people, to investigate the health risk tied to alcohol. The researchers found that, globally, about one in three people, 32.5%, drink alcohol, which is equivalent to 2.4 billion people worldwide, including 25% of women and 39% of men. Worldwide drinking alcohol was the seventh leading risk factor for early death. The researchers, researchers excuse me, said that based on their results, public health campaigns should consider recommending abstinence from alcohol. Humphreys, professor of psychiatry and behavioral science at Stanford University, not involved in the study, called the work the most sophisticated global study of the impact of alcohol on human health ever conducted, end of quote. It is not even remotely possible. You cannot disregard or disrespect God's word without suffering the curse. Inherit within every commandment of God is a blessing or a curse, because God's word is the supernatural inerrant truth. Obeying it yields the fruit of the blessing, the blessing of doing the right thing. Because God's word is the supernatural and errant truth, disobeying it yields the deadly fruit of the curse, the curse of doing the wrong thing. When God's word condemns any activity, wise men and women, boys and girls obey. It's a matter of doing the right thing. Run to the commandment and judgment, not from it. God said, Galatians 6, verse 7, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God said, Proverbs 23, 29 through 35, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? 
who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes, they that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stinketh like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Man said, My old uncle drank a pint of vodka a day and lived to be a hundred and five. Now you have the record.